With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 351. It's titled, How to Profit from Carbon Investing While Helping to Combat Climate Change. I've had a number of questions recently from PLUS members on investing in carbon and carbon offsets, including a new exchange-traded fund, the Crane Shares Global Carbon ETF, ticker is KRBN. It launched at the beginning of 2021 and has gained 44% year-to-date. Carbon investing is the kind of juicy topic I like on my podcast because I know so little about it. It's a new asset type for me. And as a result, I can apply the investing framework I taught in my book, Money for the Rest of Us, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing. The first question is, what is it? To be able to explain to a friend or family member in as simple terms as possible the key aspects of that particular investment. How does it work? What are you actually investing in? What's the expected return or upside and the risk, the downside? Who's on the other side of the trade? Who is creating that marketplace and selling that investment? And what does it take to be successful? What has to happen? I consider you, my listeners, friends. And so I've learned as much as I could in several days of preparation on carbon investing. And I want to share with you, and then you can decide whether this is a worthy investment or not. First, some background. When we're talking about carbon, we're really referring to carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions. These are heat-trapping gases that have accumulated in the atmosphere and lead to global warming. NASA estimates that over the past 171 years, human activities have raised atmospheric concentration of CO2, carbon dioxide, by 48% above pre-industrial levels found in 1850. The latest measurements are CO2 is 420 parts per million, compared to 378 parts per million back in 2005, and that's from the Mauna Loa Observatory in Hawaii. Now, the level of CO2 will vary due to natural cycles. Typically, over the last 800,000 years, it's been between 180 and 300 parts per million. Now we're at 420 ppm, and if you look at a graph, you see a significant spike well above historical averages. And as a result, combined land and ocean temperatures around the world have increased on average about 0.13 degrees Fahrenheit or 0.08 degrees Celsius per decade since 1880. But since 1981, that average temperature has increased at twice that rate. We've seen the 10 warmest years on record since 2005. Seven of the 10 warmest years have occurred since 2014. This climate change led to the Paris Agreement, 
which was a legally binding international treaty on climate change. It was adopted by 196 parties in December 2015, and its goal was to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius, preferably 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. In order to do that, the rate of carbon dioxide released by human activity needs to be reduced, about 8% per year. To achieve those goals of CO2 reduction and slower growth in the global average temperature, there have been mandated reductions and voluntary reductions. We'll talk about both of them and the investment opportunity that arises from both. Mandated reductions are done at the national level or regional level in the case of the European Union. The European Union recently announced an ambitious plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to at least 55% below the 1990 levels by 2030. That's about a 40% larger target than previously. In order to achieve that target and earlier targets, the EU established an emissions trading system. It's called the EU ETS. It was set up in 2005. Now there are 19 other emission trading systems around the world. In the U.S., for example, there's the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which is a market-based effort among Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Virginia to cap and reduce CO2 emissions from the power sector. There's a similar program in California. The largest emissions trading system is the European Union. It works on what is known as a cap and trade principle. There is a cap set on the total amount of certain greenhouse gases that can be emitted by certain industries. That cap is reduced over time so that the emission levels fall, the emissions being the amount of pollution. Companies that exceed their cap for their industry are fined. What companies have to do is reduce their emissions on their own, or they can purchase carbon allowances from companies that have reduced their emissions more than the target. These carbon allowances are released each year by the marketplace. Sometimes they're given or allocated. They can also be auctioned off. And again, companies that cut their pollution faster than others can sell their allowances or they can bank them to be used in the future. This system of cap and trade has been going on since 2005. There's also a futures market for the EU ETS in which there are contractual agreements to buy and sell these emission allowances on a future date. Each contract, which is known as a EUA, is an entitlement to emit one ton of carbon dioxide equivalent gas. It's these future contracts that the Crane Shares Global Carbon ETF, KRBN, has purchased. That's the investment. So the ETF is investing in these EUA futures contracts. The December contract has priced these carbon allowances at 53 euros. The futures price was 23 euros prior to the pandemic shutdown. Then the futures price fell 30% in March 2020. 
It doubled to 32 euros by the end of 2020, and now it's over 50. When we think about emissions allowance trading, we have to recognize that the supply of these allowances is held by the European Union. They decide how many allowances they are going to release. So they very much influence the price. And if the price falls too much, they can reduce the supply through a market stability reserve that was set up in 2019. The price of the futures went up in anticipation of these new goals that the European Union was expected to set. The Financial Times, in referring to this futures market and the role of the European Union, compared it to a supercharged OPEC, where rather than the European Union controlling a roughly a third of supply, like OPEC does, of the global oil market, the EU controls all of the supply which makes it a, a very unusual market. The other thing that's unusual is the ability of individual investors to participate by purchasing an exchange-traded fund that in turn is purchasing futures contracts on these carbon allowances. And about 75% of KRBN is invested in European Union allowance future contracts, EUAs. 16% of the allocation is California emissions futures, and 7% is from the regional greenhouse gas. Tom Lord, a trader at Renshaw Advisors, says the supply side is completely fixed by the EU. When it's so politically driven, it's not necessarily a good thing for the market. But it's an artificial market because the whole point of the market is to reduce carbon dioxide so that the average global temperature stops rising so quickly. The higher the price of those emission allowances, the more incentive a company has to invest in actually reducing their emissions, perhaps with innovative strategies rather than just buying the allowances in the market. There's been some controversy with the fact that anyone, hedge funds, individual investors can participate in this market and perhaps driving up the price from a speculative basis. And there are impacts to that rising price. And there are real world decisions being made based on the price of these emissions allowances. Boss Eichhout He's a member of the European Parliament, says some people might be betting on increased climate ambition in the EU. In other words, higher regulations. But you want the EUA price, the price of the future, to reflect market decisions rather than speculator ones. On the other side, you have an individual like Peter Kremble, who heads up trading at RWE, is one of Europe's biggest utilities. RWE bought up enough carbon credits through the futures market to fully hedge its exposure to the carbon price for the next three years. So these futures contracts can be used to actually hedge the price of the allowances getting higher. Kremble said those markets need to be well-organized and well-regulated, but then the composition of market participants is not a concern of ours. We need the depth and liquidity additional participants in these markets bring. A market should not be an in-crowd of utilities that is poisonous to the wider industry. So having more market participants creates more liquidity and potentially accurately prices what carbon allowances should be. 
the question I have is now that the price of the EOA has jumped to over $50, and that was the price that a number of analysts said needed to be there in order to incentivize greater emissions reductions within the industries. And the jump was because there were new guidelines and eventually regulations put in place within the European Union. It's not entirely clear to me that a bigger jump will occur. We don't know. That's why investing in carbon through an ETF like KRBN is very much a speculation. The way futures work is you only make money if the price of the futures contract when it expires is higher than the price that the contract was when it was entered into. That then's the mandatory side, and that's what KRBN is investing in. There's also a IPATH exchange-traded note that also invests in the same way. To me, what's more interesting, though, is the voluntary emissions reductions. This is companies pledging to achieve a carbon net zero position, reducing the amount of carbon that they are emitting to where they're, they're carbon neutral. And they do that by lowering their emissions, but also by purchasing carbon credits. Different companies make different commitments. Typically, they're talking about what is known as scope one of their carbon footprint, which would be their direct greenhouse gas emissions, things that they control, their factories, their vehicles. Scope two is often included in these pledges. These are greenhouse gas emissions associated with the purchase of electricity or other heat sources. And then there are scope three, which are indirect emissions from let's say, employee commuting to work or business travel, or how the products that are sold by these companies are used after they're sold, or how the product is treated at the end of its life and the emissions created from its recycling or disposal. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com David. That's linkedin.com David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. 
high-yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Companies are making these pledges to reduce their carbon footprint because of pressure from their stakeholders, their employees, their customers, their investors. An example of investors is BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the world with $9 trillion in assets under management. Larry Fink, their chairman, writes an annual letter to CEOs of the companies that BlackRock invests in. In his 2021 letter, he wrote, there is no company whose business model won't be profoundly affected by the transition to a net zero economy, one that emits no more carbon dioxide than it removes from the atmosphere by 2050. They are asking companies to share how their business model will be compatible with a net zero economy. They're asking for that disclosure. There are shareholder proposals that want that type of information. This isn't something that can just be ignored. Yet, even though there is pressure for companies to state how they will adapt and to act to reduce their emissions, there's also some wiggle room because 2050 is a long time and the CEOs of those companies will probably not be there by then. It's a very long-term horizon, but there is pressure. Fink says companies that are not quickly preparing themselves will see their businesses and valuations suffer as stakeholders lose confidence that the companies will adapt their business models to the changes that are coming, the regulatory changes and the pressure from these stakeholders. The way that companies can meet their pledges is to reduce emissions as part of their supply chain and processes or to purchase offsets. What's interesting about the carbon offset market is it continues to allow the companies to pollute because they're not actually cutting emissions. The economists compared it to the indulgences that were sold by the medieval Catholic Church where members could pay the church, and as the economist says, it helps sinners to go on sinning guilt-free. There are two types of offsets in the voluntary market. There are avoidance offsets and removal offsets. An avoidance offset is typically a contractual agreement where there's a specific project, it's registered with an exchange, often it's audited, and because of the intervention, that particular project, the amount of CO2 that would have been emitted is avoided. For example, paying landowners who are going to cut down trees for timber, paying them not to do that, avoiding the emissions from those trees being cut down. A removal offset is taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. That could be reforestation, additional forest. It could be a company like Climeworks, 
which is based in Switzerland, that captures CO2 directly from the air and then sequesters it underground in basaltic rock formations. The carbon offset market is made up of suppliers who have projects that avoid CO2 emissions or remove them. It has brokers, there's registries, there's verification organizations. These brokers will buy offsets and bundle them for specific buyers. An example would be South Pole and Blue Source are two brokers. Typically, these projects have been very customized. It's not as commoditized like the emissions allowance on the EU ETS because there are so many different projects. University College London professor Simon Lewis said the current markets in carbon credits is the Wild West, where too often anything goes. And in the early days, many of these projects were really schemes because it could have been reforestation project, but then later the logs were cut down or the logs were cut down somewhere else. When in reality, the trees need to stay in place for many, many years in order to get the CO2 reduction. Technology is getting better. Ben Caldicott at Oxford University pointed out high-resolution satellite imagery is allowing to know if a specific tree is cut down. What's interesting about the carbon offset market is unlike the European Union allowances, the price of these voluntary offsets have actually fallen from $7 per metric ton of CO2 to $3 in 2019. The price varies depending on the type of project. A project that's verified, it's high quality, it actually removes carbon from the atmosphere is going to be pricier, have a, carry a higher price than a reforestation project in an area of the world that isn't as easily monitored. I found a fascinating report by Trove Research, and they went through a comprehensive analysis, and they're convinced that the price of these voluntary carbon credits, which average between 3 and $5 per metric ton, will reach 20 to $50 by 2030, and potentially over $100 per metric ton of CO2 released. The demand they see is coming from more companies making these pledges. Right now, about 19% of voluntary carbon credits are purchased by financial services. But there are many other industries that could participate. And if they get enough stakeholder pressure or government pressure, you could see more pledges and more demand for these carbon offset projects and the credits. But right now, there's low prices because there's an excess supply of projects. Trove Research believes eventually, as demand increases, the simpler, lower-cost projects will be used up and there will be more expensive projects. And that higher price of the allowances will facilitate more of those projects and facilitate companies by being willing to invest in emissions reductions because then it's cost-competitive to do so. There is the possibility that some new technology will come along or something that will allow industry to reduce their carbon emissions to net zero without having to use voluntary carbon credits. And then the demand for those credits could fall. We don't know. 
Right now, though, as investors, it's challenging to invest in the voluntary carbon credit market. There is not an exchange-traded fund. And the futures market is very, very young. Because these are not commoditized, they're not just simply a emissions allowance, the permission to pollute issued by a government marketplace. These are actual projects. But there have been, this year, some futures markets established. The CME Group has launched two futures contracts. There's this CBL Global Emissions Offset Futures, and there's a nature-based Global Emissions Offset Futures contract that will come out next August. What are we buying and selling with these futures contracts? Well, with the Global Emissions Offset Futures, it's a voluntary carbon offset credit that's been registered with three different registries, Verified Carbon Standard, American Carbon Registry, or Climate Action Reserves. And so it's an actual project that's been registered. It's delivered in the future, that particular credit, and it trades on an exchange. Right now, the price of that future contract is $3.10 for the July contract. A year from now, it's only $3.32 per contract. That's only about a 3.75% increase. The participation seems like it's been very low. These are just launched this year. The nature-based global emissions offset futures will be very similar. Projects registered with certain registries that are focused on agriculture, forestry, and, and other projects that reduce carbon. As I mentioned, there's no ETFs in the voluntary market yet. And that's the market to me that seems most interesting. I'll be studying that futures markets to see how it's developed, see if there's new ETFs that evolve. But the idea is that if we participate, we'll make money if the carbon credits are worth more than the actual futures price, what's priced into the contract. And that'll be a function of demand, how many companies step up and pledge, how many projects are available what the regulations end up being, the politics, the stakeholder pressure. But it's an, it is an interesting opportunity that we can, by participating, drive up the demand for those carbon credits, potentially providing more economic incentives for projects that are economically viable. Another potential opportunity is investing in companies that create these offset projects, I haven't done any research on that, but that certainly is an area of research that could be done. But this clearly is a speculation. We don't know what the expected return is. Analysts expect the price of carbon and carbon offsets, carbon allowances to be higher in the future because of the need to take action to reduce carbon dioxide, that there will be sufficient pressure from government and from corporate stakeholders that will lead to higher prices. We don't know. I like the voluntary market better. I think there's more opportunity there potentially, but that market is still developing, particularly for individual investors. There is no ETF yet. The futures are new. The more established market and where there are ETFs and ETNs is the emissions allowance markets that are managed by government entities and who control the supply and have an incentive for the price of those allowances to go up, but not too much. And they will manipulate that to some extent to make sure that the price doesn't get too high. 
So that's an overview of investing in carbon, something we'll continue to explore on the show as it evolves. That then is episode 351. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to learn more about investing, there's two ways I can help with that. First, consider joining my weekly email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. It's where I share the links to the research that was used to prepare that week's episode. It's also where I share an essay on money, investing, and economy. The newsletter is something I'm really working on improving to make it more valuable to you. And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. The second way that you can become a better investor is by becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. Whether you're just starting to save for retirement, you're nearing retirement, or you're in retirement, Plus membership has the tools and resources you need to achieve your financial goals and have peace of mind. With Plus membership, you get access to a proven investment approach and expert portfolio insights delivered in a clear and concise style you can understand. If you'd like to learn more about Money for the Rest of Us Plus, you can do that at moneyfortherestofus.com. We'd love to have you as a member. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.